Hey everyone, my name is Joel, uh, and I'll be reading from God's Word for us tonight. Our first uh, reading comes from Isaiah 60, which is on page 580, the Pew Bibles. That's Isaiah 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around, and see, they all gather together, they come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. The multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and afar, or those from Sheba, shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautiful, beautify my beautiful house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me. The ships of Tarshish first bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your, goat, your gates shall be open continually, day and night they shall not be shut, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nation, with their kings led in procession. For the nation and the kingdom that will not serve you shall perish, those nations shall be utterly laid waste. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make the place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all who despised you shall bow down at your feet. They shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Whereas you have been forsaken and hated, with no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your saviour and your redeemer, the mighty one of Jacob. Instead of gold, instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmakers rest. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. 
Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord, and it's time I will hasten it. Thanks, Joel. Thanks, Jonah. What an amazing passage in the Bible. This might feel like a bit of a change of pace, but I'm going to tell you two stories now. One of them is a true story, and the other one is a fairy tale. Prepare yourself. Firstly, the true story. One time, a cat wanted to honour his struggling master by helping him earn the favour of a king. This cat would have done anything for his master, but all he asked for in return was a suave pair of boots. So like any good cat, he hatched a cunning and genius plan. The cat caught wonderfully tasty birds and took them to the king, saying they were gifts from his master. The cat went to all the properties of landowners around where he lived and told the tenants to say that their land belonged to his master, or he'd slice them up into little pieces. The king rode through the land one day with his daughter, the princess, and the handsome master of the cat. The king and the princess were so impressed at the wealth of the young cat's master, they arranged for the master to be married to the princess. The cat's plans had worked. He was given the title, Lord Puss in Boots. Might have seen it from a way off. So what does this real story teach us? Well, if you can get one of these cats, you might be able to make something of your life. These cunning cats can really help you connect with the right people. I've also got a fairy tale to tell you. A long time ago, in a land far, far away, a little boy was told by his father that he shouldn't play around with electrical outlets. His father warned him especially to keep metal away from them. These words, they kept ringing in his ears all day long, but he couldn't shake them out of his head. Eventually, his curiosity got the better of him. He went to his kitchen, he grabbed a fork, and he stuck it right into the first power point he could find, and got the biggest shock of his life. Okay, just in case anyone's asleep already, in this part of the Bible talk, I just told the fairy tale of Puss in Boots like it was a real event with real consequences, and I told the real truth of the danger of electrical outlets like it was a fairy tale. Anyone who's still confused, don't muck around with electricity. I don't want anyone getting confused between a fairy tale and reality, because that would be crazy, right? It would even be dangerous. If you were to treat some things in life that are real like a fairy tale you could miss out on the opportunity of a lifetime. You could even miss out on the opportunity that life is all about. Today, we're finishing up our series in Luke that we've been studying together since the start of February this year. We'll be studying the very last words in the Gospel of Luke, which is a biography of Jesus' life. This biography was written by Luke, who's a historian and doctor, who collected eyewitness accounts about Jesus' life, like we do in our law courts. Luke carefully wrote them down for people who never saw Jesus physically a few years after he rose from death to eternal life as the king of the world. Luke wrote this biography so that people who never saw Jesus, like you, like me, would know with confidence, would know for sure, these things that are recorded about Jesus. These last words in Luke's gospel that we'll be studying today record events that happened just after Jesus rose from the dead. You see... Word about Jesus' resurrection had reached the ears of a scared bunch of 11 men who were once Jesus' closest followers. 
In fear, they had abandoned and rejected their master Jesus as he was arrested, tortured, and murdered by a cowardly set of Roman authorities under the threat of a riot by his own Jewish people. But now these scared 11 traders hear some blood-chilling, confusing news. A group of women who followed Jesus were saying that they had seen Jesus' tomb empty. This was confirmed by Peter, one of their own, who ran straight over there to check it out. After this, two men also ran straight to the 11 cowardly traders to tell them that Jesus had risen from the dead as Jesus himself met with them, walked with them, and had dinner with them. It's in this context of marvelling, confusion, and fear that Jesus comes to his own friends, the 11 cowardly traders, to meet them face to face. The passage that we'll be studying today answers some of the biggest questions that people have asked throughout history. Like, what's life about and what's my purpose? We're going to see that tonight. In this passage, we see that all of history is about Jesus, the risen King. Remember that point? All of history is about Jesus, the risen King. As we read, the living Jesus is going to extend an offer to you, the opportunity of a lifetime that life's all about. Jesus is going to extend an offer offer to you to be a part of his story, as the title on the back of your outline so cleverly says. Don't roll your eyes too much. It's a great pun. Let's pray together. We're going to need God to open our eyes to see what he has to say. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would cause us to see clearly what you're saying. We pray that we would not leave tonight in fear or confusion about what's going on and who you are. We pray that you would cause us to see you clearly and to live in response to what is true. Please don't let us live following a fairy tale. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you didn't grab a Bible before, it'd be very helpful for you to have one. It's not too late to get one, so stick your hand up and someone will get you one. Uh, Make sure you do that. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We'll be reading Luke 24, verses 36 to 53. Katie's going to come up right now as we do that. Um, And as we read these last words in this account, have a think as you're reading it. We all need to work out what we're reading. So, do you think what is written here is a fairy tale or a fact? Are you currently living like this is a fairy tale or a fact? How will you respond to what is recorded here? Thanks, Katie. Right, Luke chapter 24 from verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead 
and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands. He blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Thanks, Katie. On the back of your outline here, there's some places to take notes if you want. It's just under the really clever heading at the top, in case you're wondering. It's a pretty amazing passage, pretty fantastic. Don't want to miss this one. We're up to our first point now. Jesus is really risen. As the disciples are talking about the reports that they had heard about Jesus being risen from the dead, the headline news stands right in front of them. Right in front of them. We see it in verse 36. Have a look. They're talking about the reports of his resurrection and Jesus himself stands among them and says, Peace to you. Now these are nice words, aren't they? I'll tell you what would be nicer if this was a bit more of a normal situation though. The man who was betrayed, tortured and killed now stands before them. In the flesh... The disciples are terrified, as we see in verse 37, they're frightened because they think Jesus is a spirit. The scared disciples couldn't work out what's going on. They need clarity on what Jesus' purpose is for being there and being alive right in front of them. They need comfort in their confused fear. So Jesus provides comforting clarity. Have a look at verse 38. Jesus asks, why are you troubled? Why are you doubting? Look, see my hands and my feet where the nails were driven? It's me. Touch me and see that I'm not a ghost because I have real skin and bones just like you. It's as clear as day that Jesus is physically risen. He's not a spirit or a ghost, but a real physically resurrected person. A man who bears the scars of his death, but lives. It's clear that the eyewitnesses that Luke talked to said that they saw Jesus physically risen from the dead. Luke records it as historical fact, as a historian. This doesn't have the marks of a fairy tale. These are the reports of real people in real time about real events. When I chat with people about the resurrection of Jesus, a lot of them say that they wish they could have seen Jesus physically. Have you, have you had that experience yourself? Have you ever thought that? Have you heard people say that? I think they get how big the claims that he's making are. He says that he's the king of everything who demands to be worshipped. If only I could have seen him myself, then it would be so much easier to believe in him and live for him. I really empathise with that. But as we see in this passage, seeing isn't believing. Well, seeing alone isn't believing. The 11 traders still don't understand what's going on, even though they see the risen Jesus face to face, right in front of them. Have a look at verse 41. They've seen Jesus. They've seen the holes in his hands and feet that nails were driven through. They've touched him, but they still disbelieved for joy and were marvelling. Sure, they were filled with joy and awe, but they couldn't put it all together. So, Jesus asks for some food at the end of verse 41. Verse 42, they give him some grilled fish and he gobbles it up right in front of them. He's really risen, it's clear. But as the close friends of Jesus show, seeing alone doesn't give people certainty about Jesus. Jesus needs to explain his actions. He needs to reveal what's happening to them and even to us. 
to understand what this all means. Thankfully, he does. We're up to our second point. Jesus explains real history so far. Let's look together at verses 44 to 46, where Jesus catches them up on what his resurrection means in light of all of history. Jesus says that starting in verse 44, that he had told them before that everything written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. When Jesus speaks about the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms, he's talking about all of the scriptures that had been written up to this point, what we call the Old Testament in our Bibles. You might be wondering how all of history is about Jesus when he's saying that all the Bible is about him. Aren't they two different things? Well, the Bible is God's word to people that shows God's plan to rescue them. It starts at the creation of the world and it records history all the way up to the restored eternity that Jesus rules over. All that was written about Jesus in the Old Testament must happen. All of history so far leads up to Jesus. All that's said about Jesus must happen. As we saw last week, as Dan so helpfully brought us Luke 9, in Luke 9.22, Jesus said to his followers that he, the Son of Man, which is Jesus' favourite name for himself, must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and then be raised on the third day. Do you remember last week when Jesus asked his followers who people said he was? His followers told him that people thought he was from God. But then Jesus asked his disciples who they thought he was. Peter piped up and said that he is the Christ, which means the king of everything. Jesus told Peter that he was right. But what Jesus said next shocked everyone, and especially Peter, in a way that it might not shock us as people who might know what happens next in Jesus' life. Jesus says that he was the Christ that must suffer, be rejected, be killed, and then be raised on the third day. That would have been truly shocking. And anyone at Mark Drummer would have seen how shocking even a reenactment of it was. Luke records three times that Jesus told his closest followers this in his biography of Jesus. Jesus was clear that he must suffer, die, and rise again, because this has been his plan all along in history. Jesus then did something amazing that connected all the dots for them and made everything make sense for those 11 disciples. He opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, which is the Old Testament. Have a look in verse 45. The people who saw Jesus couldn't understand what his resurrection meant by themselves. They needed him to open their minds to understand the Old Testament and how God had promised throughout history to act in Jesus. Once you have your mind open to know what history is all about, that it's all about Jesus, the King who must suffer and rise to bless people in his kingdom forever, then you see it everywhere in the Bible. As God had planned since before time, he would create people to enjoy a special and intimate relationship with him under his rule and blessing. But there was a big problem. Since right after the beginning of time and up to today, we believe a fairy tale, a big lie. Instead of loving God and living like he is our king, we reject him and choose to rule ourselves. When people in our evil pride reject God's rule, we cut ourselves off from the blessing of being with God. Removed from his presence and under his right judgment, we experience what we wanted, life without God's rule and blessing, full of sadness, decay, sickness, violence, and even death. Sin is no fairy tale, and you only need to live long enough to see that its effects aren't a fairy tale either. But God brings good news into this sad mess that every one of us is in. 
It's all recorded in history. God kindly shows his plan to rescue us and how to be rescued in the pages of the Bible. God kindly stuck to his plan to live with his people and for them to one day live under his rule and blessing once again, even though every one of them, every one of us, rejects him and chooses evil. You see, he played out his plans in history to bring rebellious people back to himself. He was committed to blessing people, even though his offspring, um, Adam and Eve, rejected him. He said that one of Eve's offsprings would crush the devil. He worked through a descendant of an old couple who couldn't have children called Abraham and Sarah. He worked through a person from a chosen nation called Israel, even though that nation kept rejecting God. He worked through a descendant of one of the finest but equally flawed kings of Israel called David. God was going to bless his people, even though they rejected him time and time again, even though they chose to be wicked. Jesus says that just like his resurrection isn't a fairy tale, the Bible isn't a fairy tale either. In fact, it's incredibly relevant to the life of every person, as it sets the stage for the king of everything, who will suffer and die but rise back to life, to rescue and rule his people forever. As we saw last week, God shows us in the songbook of the Bible that we call the Psalms, that there would one day be a son of God, which means king, who would judge rightly and would rule eternally. He also showed us, through the prophets, that there would be a servant that suffers in the place of his people. We saw last week that this king who would rule forever was also the servant who suffers in the place of his people. The figures of the servant and the king are one person. It's Jesus. The glorious one would make himself low, even taking the death and judgment that his people deserve so that they again would be able to live under God's rule and blessing back in relationship with him. Jesus says it there in Luke 24 verse 36. All that has happened is just what was written. It's the plan all along. The Christ, the king of everything, should suffer, must die. It all has to happen. Jesus' death had to happen because sin, his terrible rejection of God, isn't a fairy tale. It's relevant to every person because every person's a sinner. Now, you might be wondering why sin is such a big deal. Well, sin is such a big deal because we live like a fairy tale is real. This is the big fairy tale, the big lie. Are you ready? We live like life is all about us when it's really all about Jesus. We live like we're the boss of our lives, even though that's make-believe. This selfish pride that we call sin is no fairy tale. It impacts everything around us and everything in us too. Our sin problem of rejecting God isn't a cheeky small thing like a white lie or just something for really bad people like murderers out there. No, it's the core of the problem that leads to symptoms. Like if you've got a stomach bug, you vomit. If you're a sinner, you sin. The symptoms of our rejection of God come out like this. In our self-rule, we live like life is all about us, which means that we do things like lying to protect ourselves. We even justify our sin because we can see someone um, else that's way worse than us, we think. At least I'm not as bad as them, we say. Or you can think, it's okay if I lie, there's a bit of truth in there. These are just examples. But the main problem comes from our hearts. If you think that sin isn't your problem, then you need to know that you're living like the fairy tale is real. Sin is your real problem. And if you want some more supporting evidence, besides what God says so clearly in the Bible, you can just ask someone who lives with you. Works pretty well for me. Give that a go. 
as we've seen in Luke so far, people can't earn forgiveness themselves when it's God they've rejected. Only the rejected one can forgive. Only God can do it. There's a real danger in thinking that God's news of repentance and forgiveness is a fairy tale. If you think that Jesus and his work are irrelevant, you're in serious danger. So whether you've been around church for a while, or whether you've just come today or somewhere in between, you need to repent. And that means turning away from sin and turning to God to be forgiven by him. See, God loves to forgive repentant sinners. It's been his plan all along. Make today the day that you turn from sin to God. Talk with someone who's a regular at church. And if you want to, but if you don't want to yet, but you want to find out more, make sure you come along to Life that Dan talked about before. It's a great course. Don't treat Jesus as irrelevant because you'll miss out on the opportunity that life is all about. You'll miss out on knowing God and being in intimate relationship with him under his rule and blessing. Your creator knows how to live, to rule you best and for how you, for how you should live. Thankfully, history doesn't end with a dead king. As the disciples see now, right in front of them, Jesus must also rise from the dead on the third day. Just as he said before now, he says again in the second half of verse 46, as the Bible clearly shows, the same King Jesus who died in the place of sinners is the same King Jesus that rose from the dead to rule forever and ever. Now that he stands in front of the 11 disciples risen, he proves that sin is paid for. Forgiveness is possible for all those who repent. Eternal and wonderful life after death is now open. Jesus proves that he is the forever king who will rule the universe and the king that every person must bow to. He shows that he is the judge of every person who offers forgiveness for a limited time until he returns. He's the king who rules forever, who kindly sacrifices himself for unworthy people. It's a fantastic thing that all of history is about Jesus. Can you think of anyone who's more worthy? You may have noticed that verse 46 isn't the end of what Jesus says must happen according to God's plans. With Jesus risen from the dead, we see that God has completed stage one of his plans for all of history, to open the way for people to be forgiven. God has saved the world through a dead and risen Jesus. That's stage one. But now Jesus talks about stage two of God's plan to save the world, and it's with a message. Let's keep looking at verse 47. We're up to our third point. Real history to be made. Jesus shows in verse 47 that as a result of the work that he has done in dying in the place of people to offer forgiveness to them, the news about his forgiveness of sins must be shared in his name to every nation, beginning from Jerusalem, which is the capital city of God's people. God's forgiveness of sin comes to all who repent. To repent is to change your mind, to turn around to stop living like the fairy tale is real and live in light of reality. A helpful way of thinking about it is like a U-turn. For all those who turn away from rejecting God to live for Jesus, God forgives them. He makes them his own and they now live under his rule. That might not sound like good news to you. That might sound like something you just don't want to do because you want to keep living with yourself as your boss. But the announcement for people to repent really is good news whether you accept it or not. Because it shows that God really wants to forgive people. He's not done with people and he really can forgive people. God had planned all along for people from all over the world to turn away from their evil rebellion and to be welcomed into the arms that were pierced for them. 
God had always planned for the good news message of repentance and forgiveness to go out to all nations. God had always planned to bring people from every tribe, every language, every nation to himself. He'll have the most multicultural group of people ever seen. We saw it before in Isaiah chapter 60, that God has always planned to bring people to himself, people from all over the world. In Luke 24 verse 48, he tells those same 11 cowardly disciples that they are going to be the witnesses who share this news of repentance and forgiveness to all nations. Jesus even announces that he will send the promise of his Father in verse 49. Have a look. The Holy Spirit who will live in them. Jesus will send him upon them to help them share the truth of repentance and forgiveness, even when people don't want to hear it. Could God save the world through a message? God will save the world as the Holy Spirit preaches a message of repentance and forgiveness to all nations through people that have been forgiven by him. Jesus says that the history that he's going to make is the spread of the news of his kingship to all nations, the spread of the news that he has risen. God's blessing will spread through his message. And you might think that a respectable person has a private faith that they keep to themselves, but Jesus here says the complete opposite of that. And it makes good sense. Jesus says that to follow him involves passing on the amazing treasure that you've found. Jesus says that if anyone has truly experienced his kindness, they will pass it on as a person cured of sickness tells other sick people where the doctor is. All of history, past, present and future, is about the risen King Jesus. So don't miss out on the opportunity to be a part of the work that Jesus is doing now. Spread the news. If you've heard the news of repentance and forgiveness many years ago or today, joyfully praise God for his kind work to bless you with an opportunity to repent and be forgiven. Will you now take the opportunity of a lifetime to pass on the good news that you've received? When you have something good and unlimited, you'd have to be crazy and selfish not to pass it on to others, even though it feels crazy and scary to share it, at least for me. I don't know about you guys. Our feelings there are a fairy tale in light of reality. Even though it's scary, the truth must go out for the good of the whole world. Who will you tell this good news of repentance and forgiveness to? God has placed you around them as they need to hear the news. Share consistently with them. But just like seeing alone won't save people around you, speaking alone won't save them either. God saves his people as they prayerfully rely on him as they speak. So we must remember to ask God to open the minds of those around us to understand the message because God works to make people understand the good news of repentance and forgiveness. So pray and ask God to open the minds of people around you just like he did to the 11 disciples and just like he's done to you. All of history to come is about the risen King Jesus. Will you take the opportunity to be a part of the work that Jesus has graciously invited us to do by sharing the news of repentance and forgiveness of sins? Will you even pray that God would save people around our country and the world? Will you pray consistently for our many gospel partners who have left our church like the Kongs and Candace at Deakin University in Melbourne? Will you pray for guys like Stephen Jane Lister from our church who are now sharing the news of Jesus at the University of Queensland? Will you pray for our mission partners that have left our church to go overseas to Belgium, Malaysia, South Asia, like Howard and Trish, Josh and Nikki and the Nichols? 
If we're going to live in light of what's real, then let's be on mission overseas, even though we're physically here, as we give time, effort and money to support the work of spreading the message of repentance and forgiveness for our dear partners in the gospel as we pray for them. Don't treat the news of the risen King Jesus like a fairy tale. But as we see in our fourth point, experience the real joy that the disciples enjoy in verses 50 to 53. The 11 disciples go from doubting and fear to rejoicing in the forgiveness that has been won for them by Jesus, the King who conquered sin and death forever. They rejoice in their King who has kindly given them the job of passing on the good news that they have received. Real joy isn't found within yourself. It's not found in stuff that you can get either. I know this personally, but real joy also doesn't come and go as your, as your circumstances change. Real joy comes and stays by knowing Jesus and living for him. Living with Jesus as your king means that you now live with joy in being forgiven. It means that you now have joy in being given the great purpose of passing on the treasure you've found. There's your joy, there's your purpose. It's all about Jesus and it's all found in him. Let's thank him and rejoice in his kind kingship. All of history is about the risen King Jesus. That's past, present and future. It's all about him. Enjoy the blessing of living out that history. But how will you be a part of his story? That's a question worth having a serious think about so you don't live like a fairy tale is true. Live in response to what's real instead. It's even worth having a chat about as we kept chatting after this over at dinner and just here. Ask one another and get ready to share. How will you be a part of his story? All of history is about Jesus. Will you be a part of his story by repenting and being forgiven? Will you be a part of it by joyfully sharing news of repentance and forgiveness to everyone around you? Will we joyfully and sacrificially share this news to the world as a church? What a purpose, what a joy, what an amazing God. Let's pray to him and ask him to help us to live rightly in light of Jesus, the Lord of history. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're in awe of you. We thank you so much that you have appointed Jesus to be the one that history is all about. We thank you that all of history in stage one was about Jesus suffering, dying, and rising again. And we thank you that you put us in stage two when we can share the incredible news of repentance and forgiveness to everyone around us and everyone in the world. We thank you for the joy it is to be able to share this out of experience, out of the experience of being forgiven. We pray, Father, for all those who haven't experienced this news that we know, that we love, and even those that we don't know yet. We just pray, Father, that you would have mercy on them, that you would open their eyes to see Jesus clearly. We pray that you would cause them to repent, to turn away from living for themselves as king. And we pray that you would cause them to live with you as their king. We ask that all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we're going to come up and sing now.